0: Tonight, our topic is which church would Jesus join? So let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful and thankful that You have put a hunger and a desire within our heart to be here. Thank You for bringing us out again tonight. And Lord, we just praise Your holy name. You are worthy of our worship And Lord, we want to connect with You in a more meaningful way. We want to have a living connection with You. And Lord, we know that You have brought us here and You've been putting a hunger and a desire within us. You've been showing us the truth. But Lord, we need to apply it to our lives. And we need to allow You to change us. And so we're praying and asking that You'll speak to each one of us individually in a powerful way and that, Lord, You will bless us as we surrender our hearts to You. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off tonight by asking you a couple of questions. And the first one is, what does the Bible teach us about discovering God's truth for today? Because we want to know, does God have a church on earth today that is solidly grounded on the Bible? That's the question that we want to try and answer tonight. Because there certainly seems to be a hunger for genuine Christianity. There are many people that desire more than what they're getting from their churches, and they're questioning the things that their churches are doing, and they just have a sense that there's something more to a religious life than just this form or shell of Christianity. They recognize that they need a greater connection with Christ, and there is this longing for something more. This hunger is not just for a church either, though. It is a hunger to have a living connection with Bible-believing people. Right, We want to have a relationship with those who are hungering and thirsting for the truth of God. And we know that God has a people in these last days. Jesus Himself told us that the harvest is plentiful. There are plenty of people that are out there that are truly searching for the truth. But the devil is also working and doing everything that he can to try and distract and pull people away. And so more than ever, we realize that people uh, need to follow our theme for this series. And that is that if it's in the Bible, we believe it. But if it's not, or it disagrees with the Bible, then we want to say it's not for me. Because people are hungering and thirsting for satisfaction. But you know what? Materialism, has not satisfied them. Things can never satisfy our thirst. The longing that we have in our soul. God placed a longing in our souls for Him. And we can't fill it with all of these other things. Pleasure hasn't satisfied it either. Entertainment can never satisfy our longing for God. Technology has not satisfied. Even the latest gadgets that are out there are not going to satisfy the longing in our soul. That longing to know God and to have a special relationship with Him. And we see that there is a hunger for the Word of God. There is a hunger for Bible truth. But how do we find it? How do we get there? And the question is, does God call a people on the earth today His church. As you look down through the history of the Christian church, we see that God has always had a people, a remnant if you will, a a small amount of people who have proclaimed His truth in every generation that there has been. In the days of Noah, God had a very special message for all of humanity. And Noah appealed to men and women for 120 years that they needed to repent of their sin and enter into the ark of safety. And yet, the majority rejected God's call, but there were still a few faithful people who did enter the ark. Amen? It was a call to step out from the majority. It was a call to step away from the popular masses. It was a call to take a step of faith and to get into the ark. And today, God is making that call again. There's a very special message that God has in these last days, and that is that we need to get into God's ark of safety. And that is, we need to come out of the popular church, the corrupt church, the apostate church, and we need to come into God's last day church. In the Old Testament, God called Abraham out of the popular majority. Genesis chapter 26, verse 2 says, Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Don't go down to Egypt, but live in the land of which I shall tell you. God called Abraham out of the popular culture to follow Him completely. Genesis 26, verse 5 says, "...because Abraham obeyed My voice and kept My charge, My commandments, My statutes, and My laws." Here we see that God is saying that He had a people. In the days of Abraham, they were Him and His family, His followers, those that Abraham taught. And they kept God's commandments. They were faithful to Him. They kept His statutes and His laws. And then God chose Moses in the next generation to lead His people and to be faithful to Him and to keep His commandments. And in the days of ancient Israel, God was calling out a faithful, obedient group to follow Him. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 1 says therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge his statutes his judgments and his commandments that's what God has always called for faithful people to do to keep his commandments and in the days of Noah a people who loved God kept His commandments and they got into the ark. In the days of Abraham, there was a people that loved God and they kept His commandments and they stepped out of the majority. And in the days of ancient Israel, there were a a group of people that loved God, that kept His commandments, and God called them His chosen people. Right? They were His special people that loved Him enough to do what He And then you know, in the days of the New Testament, Peter preached powerfully on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 were baptized and added to his faithful group of people his church at that time and as they were baptized they stepped out and became God's special people those who kept the commandments of God 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special In the days of Noah, God had a special people. In the days of Abraham, God had a special people. In the days of Peter, God had a special people. And God's special people have always been characterized by one thing. They have kept the commandments of God. They have characterized by their obedience. And they loved Him enough to obey Him. That's the greatest act of worship that there is. You obey the One that you love. And so, uh, God always had a group of people that He carved out of the majority. They were commandment-keeping people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 continues on, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so through every generation, God has been calling His people out of darkness. Calling them into the light. Calling them out of error. Calling them into the truth. From commandment breaking to commandment keeping. That is what God has always called people to do and to be. And when you take a step to follow truth and becomes part of God's commandment keeping people, you do not deny any truth that you believed in the past. You know, sometimes we have a Bible prophecy series like this, and people start hearing things that they had never heard before, and there's this struggle that goes on in your mind because the carnal nature naturally just wants what is easier, And we naturally just want to take the easy way. We want to be able to check the box and say, yes, I belong to God and yes, I'm saved, but we still want to be able to just do what the rest of the world is doing. But God is calling people out. He's calling them out of that and He's calling them into His marvelous light. And sometimes we think, well, I've learned this new truth and now I just have to forget everything that I've learned in the past. And that is partially true. Because remember how we talked about Doris the other night who realized that a lot of the teachings that she had received in the church that she had been in her whole life, a lot of it was error, but there was truth that was mixed in there as well. Every church that is out there has a measure of truth. Because the devil can't just give you straight error, you would just immediately reject it. But what he does is mix a little bit of error in with truth over long periods of time and pretty soon we don't question it, pretty soon we start teaching it as the truth. And so what we've got to do is we have got to recognize what is truth and what is error and we have got to reject the error, but we can hold on to the truth. I can give you an example from my own walk of faith that there have been several times in my walk with the Lord that I have had to change directions. I thought that I understood. I thought that I knew. I thought that I had the truth. And then someone comes along who was able to show me the truth, and I realize that that wasn't really truth. And it's like Paul says, I can't do anything about the past, but all I can do is press forward and reach for the high calling of God. And so we may have to change direction at times in our walk of faith as we learn more and more truth For me, it just seems to me like my path just keeps getting narrower and narrower. Have you noticed that in your own walk of faith? That God is calling us to the narrow road. He says that the road to heaven is narrow and there are few that find it, but the road that leads to destruction is broad and there are many that go in by it. And so we want to find that narrow path. And we want to find that truth and we want to keep narrowing in on it and so that we get to where the places that we are exactly like Jesus. And that's what He's calling us to. And we need to realize that just about every church out there does have some truth. But if you take error and you mix it in with truth, it's no longer truth. It's error. And so we have to be able to separate the truth from the error and we have to dial that in so that we have more and more truth and less and less error. Amen? And so that's what we're looking for. And while we may appreciate our past, we commit ourselves to following all the truth that God has for us today. That's what God intended after the 1260 years of the papal reign of terror. He starts bringing truth back up. And God expected or desired that His church would just continually follow the truth and just grow with the truth all along. And that's what we need to do. We need to take that truth that the Methodists had. We need to take that truth that the Baptists had. We need to take that truth that the Presbyterians had. And we need to add to it the truth for today and get to a place where we have actually following the maximum amount of truth that we have. Now, there's still things that we have to learn right and we don't want to get hung up on we have all the truth there's still more there but what we simply need to do is drop off all of the baggage that we have that those pieces of the puzzle that don't fit into the true picture of Jesus and the plan of salvation those things that are not in a harmony with God's Word and we need to let those things go and we need to walk in the fullness of the truth. That's where God is trying to lead us. And when you find the truth, You look for a church that teaches the truth. Remember, we talked about this the other night. You don't go to church to find the truth. You go to the Word of God to find the truth, and then you find a church that is in harmony with the truth, that is teaching the truth, and that's the church that you want to be a part of. And you're going to find that that is probably not the popular church. Because the popular church is full of deception. It's full of error and full of pagan practices that are leading us in a place where the Bible says the whole world wonders after the beast. And so how does the Bible define God's church? I want you to notice in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 that Paul says to us, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Here we see that at the very core of it, at the center of the church, it is supposed to be the pillar and the ground of truth. The church is to be the custodian of truth and it should not allow error to be there at all it should reject that error and it should have only the truth it should be the pillar it should be the ground at its very core it should be sharing the truth john chapter 17 verse 17 jesus made it very clear sanctify them by your truth And your Word is truth. That's how we become holy. That's how we become righteous as we are following the truth of God's Word. We don't go to a church to find what they say is the truth. We go to the Word of God and that's where we get it. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, "...and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." You know, there are a lot of people today, even in the church, that say you can't know all the truth. You know, every church has a little bit of truth, and that's a true statement, but they say you can't have all the truth. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And when Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free from the bondage of slavery. You are free from the deceptions that are going on in the world. You are free from the errors that have corrupt their way into the church. And when Jesus gives us freedom, it is truly freedom indeed. And so, when we come to the Word of God, When we are studying the Bible, one of the things that we need to realize is that we need to come with an open mind. We need to come with an honest heart and a willing, seeking spirit. We need to come willing to surrender our will if we find the truth. And God promises that He will reveal the truth to us if we come in that attitude. But if we come to study the Bible and we are already locked in on our own opinions, we are going to be unable to understand the truth i 've had many people that i 've tried to study the Bible with, and it becomes very apparent that they have already made up their mind and they don 't want to be confused with the truth that 's the reality of what happens when we study the Bible and we think that we already know. Remember, I told you there are only two kind of people that can 't learn: those who are dead because the dead know nothing, and those who think they already know everything. That is a person that is unwilling. They're not open to the truth. And that's the idea. When we come, we've got to be open to that truth. We've got to see it. And you know, the truth just has a certain sound to it. The truth just has a ring to it. And when we hear the truth, somehow there's some mechanism built within us that God has placed there that when we hear the truth, we just know it. We realize, wow, this is the truth, right? And we have to be willing to surrender ourselves to that truth. And so if we approach God's Word only desiring to prove our position, we are not going to discover His will. Our own thoughts will influence what we read in His Word. You know, you can make the Bible say just about anything that you want to. In fact, there's a place in Peter where he's talking about the Apostle Paul, and he says that he was a very learned man, he was a very educated man, and he spoke things that were hard for people to understand, and there are those that twist them, and he says it's to their own destruction. We shouldn't have to twist the Word of God to get it to say what we want it to say, but we should read it as it says and take it literally as what it is and apply it to our lives and allow God to change us. He will show us the truth in His Word. He promises that. And the book of Revelation describes to us God's faithful people who cling to the truth at the end of time no matter what the cost. Revelation chapter 12 describes more clearly than anywhere else how this great controversy got started and how it's going to end. And it describes God's people all the way down through the ages, and it also describes Satan's vicious attacks in four distinct phases or episodes or parts of the history of the world. It reveals to us without a shadow of a doubt the identifying characteristics of God's last day church. God's chosen people. God's people in these last days of earth's history. And so if you go to Revelation chapter 12, you see God's true church there described as this woman. And of course we know that this is a woman that appears in heaven there in vision and that she is the bride of Jesus Christ. And we notice that... What a woman represents in Bible prophecy, second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse two tells us, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, and so the apostle Paul here is presenting to us the true church of Christ. This is the bride of Christ. And Revelation chapter 12 continues the description of this battle between Christ and Satan. This battle between good and evil. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 tells us, so the great dragon was cast out of heaven, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were were cast out with him. And so here in Revelation chapter 12, we see the first episode in this great controversy that is being played out. We see Satan rebelling against God in heaven. That's where it all started. That's where it all began. And it was this controversy over doctrine. And Satan was claiming that the law of God was unnecessary, that it couldn't be kept, and he was seeking to be worshiped himself, and eventually there was found no place for him in heaven, and he was cast out along with his angels. And what happened? Christ wins, and Satan loses. Christ won, the devil was cast out of heaven, him and his angels. And so we see in episode one of this great controversy that God is victorious. Then we move on to episode number 2 and it says, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth and to devour her child as soon as it was born. We've already talked about this passage. We already know that this male child is talking about Jesus, the one who would rule the world with a rod of iron, who would be caught up into heaven. And so we know this and we know the dragon represents Satan but ultimately he works through human instrumentalities. He works through pagan Rome. He works through Herod who tries to kill Jesus. And that's what we see in this second episode of this great controversy that's going on between Christ and Satan. Satan is now kicked out of heaven and now in this second phase, this second episode of this controversy, he is having these efforts to try and destroy Jesus. He is angry and he stands before the woman that represents the church, and she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And so we ask the question, did Satan try to kill Jesus when he was born? Absolutely he did. Working through Herod, Herod sent out the decree that all male children of Israel, two and under, were to be killed. And so he certainly tried to kill him. And in fact, we can read through Scripture and you can find out that by a miracle of God, He comes to Joseph in a dream and He tells him to take the mother and the child and to flee and go down into Egypt. And there God preserved them until Herod was dead and then He brought them back out. And so Satan tried to kill Jesus at His birth, but he couldn't. And then years later after His baptism, Jesus goes out into the wilderness and there once again Satan tries to kill him. There he appears as this angel of light and he is hoping to destroy him by getting him to commit sin. And he goes through those great temptations for 40 days. And by the way, in that 40 days, there wasn't just three temptations, but the three that are listed are the climax of 40 days of being tempted by the devil, trying to trip him up, trying to destroy him and his plan of salvation. And Once again, we see Jesus the victor. Jesus wins and Satan loses. And so he waited until a more opportune time, and that comes at the end of Jesus' ministry when he stirs up all the people to try and kill him. And so Jesus ends up going to the cross. Satan thinks that he has killed him, he thinks that he has finally won the victory and Jesus rose from the dead and in revelation chapter 12 verse 5 it says and her child was caught up to God in his throne we know that 40 days after His resurrection that He ascended back into heaven. And that's what that verse is telling there. His salvific mission was accomplished. He did what He came to do. He paid the penalty for our sins. And now He has gone into heaven to start His new phase of ministry. And that is as our intercessor there in the heavenly sanctuary and as our advocate in the judgment that's going on. And so... That's the second phase or second episode of this great controversy where Satan tries to destroy Jesus. And what happens? Christ wins and Satan loses. And God has provided a way of safety. And so in episode number 3 then, Satan realizes that he has been kicked out of heaven. He lost the first battle. He lost the second battle with Christ. He couldn't kill Him. He couldn't defeat Him. And so now he takes it out on his church. Now he is coming after the followers of Christ and he turns his wrath on the woman. He turns his wrath on the Christian church. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but all but one of the disciples uh, died a martyr's death. It cost them dearly for their faith in Christ. But Satan has attacked the church. And then Satan realized that in the beginning he tried to persecute the church through the Pharisees, through the leaders of Judaism, and that didn't work. And so then he starts trying to work through the politicians and the leaders of Rome, and they persecuted God's people, but the church kept growing. That didn't work. And so he takes on a new strategy and he tries to destroy the church from within. He starts bringing error. He starts bringing in traditions that are considered above the Bible. He starts bringing in pagan practices and even though he was winning the victory in that, the persecution still followed along with that. Because now you have a union of church and state and now they are persecuting those who have the audacity to obey the commandments of God. Those who want to keep the faith and do what God has called us to do. And so as the church and state united, Satan attacked fiercefully and persecuted God's true believers. And what does Revelation chapter 12, verse 6 say about that? It says, Then the woman, that's God's true church, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. When Satan attempted to destroy the church in the dark ages, the woman, the true church, had to flee. They had to go into hiding. They fled out into the wilderness. That they should be fed there for 1,260 days. And we've already talked about this. That 1,260 days was prophetic days, but in Bible prophecy a day equals a year. And so that was literally one thousand two hundred and sixty years. And you can go to Ezekiel four six and Numbers fourteen, thirty-three and thirty-four, and you can see some examples that God has given us to follow that day for a year principle. We have to let the Bible interpret itself we can see there that that's exactly what happened. Prophecy is proved correct by history. And so the church is in the wilderness for 1,260 years. The church is in hiding. And the popular church, the apostate church that is state and church united, they are the ones that are persecuting God's true church, God's people. And as we studied in previous lectures, we saw that those dark ages began in A.D. 538 when the Roman Catholic Church took those three horns. You go back to Daniel chapter 7 and you see the little horn plucking out three of the other horns. And when that last barbarian tribe was extinct, that was in 538. That's when the papal reign really began. And that goes to 1798. And that was that reign of terror. But during that time, God's true church was in the wilderness. It was in hiding. But there were faithful men and women of God who hung on the truth of God's Word even though they had to go into seclusion to do it. And then the Reformers, they started bringing that truth out. And they too were persecuted by the church. And so there were many that lost their lives. And even during that time, God had faithful men and women like Luther here who was bound by the principles of God's Word and hung on to the truth even though it cost many of them their lives. And so in episode 3, we see that Satan tries to destroy Christ's church. And history has shown that to be exactly what was prophesied. And again, we see the outcome of that third phase of that battle between Christ and Satan. Christ wins and Satan loses. The wilderness period ended in 1798 when Napoleon sent his general in and took the Pope captive. And the uh, civil power of the church was lost. It received that deadly wound. They were still a church. They still had ecclesiastical power. But they now no longer had civil power. And they no longer could persecute God's people. And so here's where the prophecy becomes very fascinating. Sometime after 1798, God would then begin to raise up His end time people. God would start bringing His church out of hiding and we would see the Reformation taking place. And just like in the days of Noah, and Abraham, and Moses, and God's uh, commandment keeping people in Israel, like in the days of the New Testament and the Dark Ages, God would have in the last days a special commandment keeping people that were faithful to Him. The book of Revelation describes the identifying characteristics of God's last day people with these words. Revelation 12, verse 17 says, "...and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring." Now I really like this verse because it really in symbology tells us exactly what's going on here. The dragon we know is Satan. We know that he works through human instrumentalities. But he was enraged. He is furious with the woman. And of course, we know the woman is God's church. And he goes out to make war with the rest of her offspring. That's what it says in the New King James, but I like the way it says it in the King James. The King James says that he went to make war with the remnant of her seed. It's saying basically the same thing, but we understand it more vividly in that picture of a remnant. Because if you've ever seen a bolt of cloth, if you've ever seen a roll of carpet, and then you roll that out and you cut a piece off. And then sometimes later, you roll it out and you cut off another piece. And another and another. And eventually, you get down to the last piece. And the last piece is called the remnant. And it's called the remnant because it's a part of and it looks exactly like the original. And that's what we see in God's last day people. They look just like the original church. Remember, that was when God's church was in its purest form. And so now at the end of time you have God raising all of these truths back up and you have people that are following them. This special group of people that He refers to as the remnant. As the rest of the offspring. And they are doing exactly what that first century church was doing. And that verse goes on to describe what God's last day people look like. And it says that they are the ones who keep the commandments of God, and they have the what? The testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, if you think back on this, you'll realize that previous to tonight, in this series, when I've been talking about God's last day people, we've been referring to Revelation 14, verse 12. But now tonight, we're looking at Revelation 12.17. Because if you go back to Revelation 14.12, it describes God's last day church. It's those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. But now we see this describing God's last day church. They have the commandments of God but they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now when we think about the faith of Jesus, and we see the testimony of Jesus, we have a tendency in our mind to look at those of being the same thing. The faith of Jesus. And we look at that word testimony of Jesus and we think, okay, well what does that mean? That means that's the testimony that I have of what God has done in my life. That's my faith journey, and that's what God is doing in my life. And people look at that and they say, that's what the testimony of Jesus is. And on the surface, that sounds like a good definition. That sounds like it's the right thing. But remember, we can't decide for ourselves what the Bible means. We have got to let it interpret itself. And so we have got to find somewhere in the Bible that tells us what the testimony of Jesus is. And here we see the characteristics of God's last day church. They keep the commandments. The implication there is that they keep all of them and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And you'll remember what Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen: If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. And the implication there is that they keep all of them. But now we see that God's last day church also has the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice, first of all, in the description here, they keep the commandments of God. That's pretty clear, right? God is going to have a people in these last days that look just like the first century church. They obey Him. They keep His commandments. Do you think that all of the apostles were keeping all of the commandments of God? They wouldn't even finish burying Jesus because the Sabbath was approaching. They went home and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment the Bible tells us. And so, God's last day people are going to look just like the original. And even while the apostate church and the harlot daughters are teaching that the commandments of God are no longer applicable, as they are teaching that we are now no longer under the law, but we're under grace, in the heart of God's Ten Commandments, we discover the very basis of worship. And that is because... God is our creator, and that's why we worship him. And the Sabbath commandment leads us to worship him supremely as the creator of heaven and earth. We have Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 10, giving us that fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And so here we see in the last days there are going there's going to be a commandment-keeping people that are described in the book of Revelation that keep the seventh day Sabbath. Here are the people of the New Covenant I want you to think about this for a minute. What is the New Covenant? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 tells us. God says, I will put My laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. If you go back to the first covenant, back at Sinai, The covenant was based on faulty promises. It was based on the people saying, whatever God says we will do. And so Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments of God, but by the time he gets back down, they're already breaking the first and the second commandment. And so they couldn't do it in their own power. And so this is the new covenant. God says I'm going to write my law in your mind and in your heart. And if God's law is written in your mind, that means you understand it. If God's law is written in your heart, that means you love it. Jesus said, my people perish because they don't have a love of the truth. That is key for us in these last days. That we love the truth. Because if we love the truth, we love Jesus. He is the truth, the way, and the life. And we have to realize that in these last days, God's people are not super saints, right? They are weak. They falter. They make mistakes. But God has written His law in their mind and in their hearts so that they love it, so that they want to keep His commandments no matter what the cost. And so the book of Revelation, chapter 10, 12, describes God's last day people. And it has two characteristics. And the first is that they could keep the commandments of God. And the second is that they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so the question is what is the testimony of Jesus Christ? Let me take you there. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19. We've got to let the Bible interpret itself. Revelation chapter 19, and we've got to see what the Bible tells us that the testimony of Jesus is. Revelation chapter 19, and I want you to notice what it says in verse 10. It says, And I, that's John, fell at his feet. That's the angel that's giving him this information. And he says, I fell at his feet to worship him. But the angel said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is what? The Spirit of prophecy. And so here we have... The last day church. And there's two identifying marks of God's people. They keep the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. And so Revelation chapter 12 says that the bride of Christ is a Bible-believing church that loves Jesus, that keeps His commandments, And they have the gift of prophecy. And the Bible talks about the prophetic gift in the last days. You know, it's very unfortunate, but there are many people in the Christian church today that say that the gift of prophecy ended when the Bible was finished. There are many that say today that the gift of prophecy would come to an end. But we see from God's Word that the gift of prophecy is going to be there all the way until the end of time, until the second coming of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 says, "...so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ." Here we see that God has poured out His gifts upon the church. And you can go into the epistles of Paul and you can see that God gave some the gift of teaching. He gave some the gift of preaching. He gave some the gift of evangelism and some the gift of prophecy. And here Paul tells us that all of those gifts are going to be there to the end of time so that we don't fall short so that we have what the first century church is. If the last day church is truly the remnant church, then we should have all of the gifts that they had in the beginning. And the gift of prophecy, if it was needed in the first century church in order to protect it from error, then we certainly need the gift in the last day church to point out that error and bring us back to the truth. Amen? And so all of the gifts of God should be manifest in God's last day church. It should be a Spirit-filled church. It should be a church that is a powerful church. We should be able to see miraculous healings from time to time in God's church if it is His will. He will bless us with that prophetic gift all the way up to the end of time. And there have been dramatic breakthroughs Because of God's gift that He has given to His last day church. The Holy Spirit is being poured out and thousands are becoming a part of that faith-based community that we call God's special people. And so God's church is a Spirit-filled church that will impact the world. And Jesus commissioned his disciples to go to the world. I want to show you that. We've looked at this already, but let's do it again. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. We're going to go to the last chapter of Matthew, and I want you to notice what Jesus said to his disciples and what he's saying to us. Matthew chapter 28, look with me in verse 18 and 19. Jesus says, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here we see that God has given this commission to us to go to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Go to the entire world. And we are to come and we are to make Bible-believing, grace-filled, commandment-keeping, Sabbath-keeping, Spirit-empowered people. Amen? That's what God's church is in the last days. And in every age, God has had a people who responded to His grace, committed their lives to Him, and obediently followed Him into the waters of baptism. And they became a part of His church, a special called-out people who are committed to following all of His truth." And He has had a group of people that have followed that truth every step along the way. And so we should expect that in these last days that God is still going to have a faithful remnant. A group of people that are going to love Him. And what is this last day movement? Revelation describes... This special last day movement. And I want you to catch the power and the significance of this. Revelation 14, starting in verse 6, says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. I want you to notice that this cannot be some little denominational church out there on the corner. Right? This has to be a worldwide movement because this goes to everybody on the planet. This is a global movement that is preaching the everlasting gospel in the context of present truth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And what is the present truth for our days? These last days, the present truth is that Christ is coming soon, that there is an apostate church that He wants us to come out of, and we need to repent, we need to keep all of His commandments, we need to worship Him in the manner in which He has called us to, and we are to be called out of the world. We are to be different than the rest. And that verse goes on to say, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. And so what does it mean to fear God? It's not that we are to be afraid of Him, but it means that we are to have a reverence and a respect for Him. And what does it mean to give glory to God? To glorify God means to honor him in how we live, both in what we eat, in our lifestyle, what we allow into our mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 says, "Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it all to the glory of God." 1 Corinthians 6:19 says, "Don't you know that your body is not your own but you were bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body." And why should we do this because the hour of his judgment has come and so this message of this angel flying in the midst of heaven represents God's last day church a movement which is calling men and women to the fact that we are accountable to God through our actions And so, a Christian should look like a Christian. A Christian should act like a Christian. And that goes into everything from what we allow into our bodies to what we wear and what we don't wear. What we listen to or watch, it all is a part of this call out of this corrupt apostate church. In an age of irresponsibility, God is calling us to moral responsibility. He is calling us to obedience. God's final message for mankind declares the hour of His judgment has come. Friends, this is a very special time in earth's history. No more business as usual. No more just going through the motions, no more pleasures as usual, but the hour of His judgment has come. And the message continues Worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Who is God calling us to worship? The Creator. Not the creation, not the beast, but He is calling us to worship Him as Creator. And the Sabbath is a part of God's last day message. It is a call to set apart every Sabbath, the seventh day, and to keep it holy, and to honor Him, to bring glory to Him. All of this is a part of His end time message. All of this is a part of this urgent message. All of this is a part of God's last day movement of His faithful church. And so God invites us to be a part of His last day movement. He invites us to be a part of His special people. A worldwide communion That keeps God's commandments. It is Bible-based. It is Sabbath-keeping. It is an Adventist movement. And God is teaching us today the errors that have crept into His church and those things that are incompatible with Christ and with the Word of God. And so I want to give to you seven... Features of God's last day church. God's last day church in Revelation chapter 12 tells us that it will recapture the pure faith of the disciples. If we are truly the remnant, we should look just like God's faithful church in its purest form. And I don't know about you, but my heart longs for God's people to recapture that faith and that truth of the first century church. This is more than being about denominationalism. This is about being faithful to the Word of God. It's about recapturing those Bible truths that have been lost sight of over The thousands of years. The second thing is that we see that God's true church will have dual characteristics of number one, keeping all of the commandments of God, and number two, of having the gift of prophecy. And I would say to you today that there is only one church in the world that does both of these. There are some churches today that keep all of the commandments of God. And they actually have worship on Saturday as they should, but they don't have the gift of prophecy. And then there are other churches today that claim to have the gift of prophecy. And they had a prophet that led them at least at one point. But if you go back and look at them, you'll discover that they lead you away from the Word of God. And they say that their visions are superior to, to the Bible, and so they're not keeping the commandments of God. There's only one church in the world that meets that description, and that's the Seventh-day Adventist church. They qualify on both accounts. And then number three, it would be a worldwide mission-driven movement. It will be a movement that goes to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. It will be a movement that accepts men and women of all races, languages, and creeds. A movement that does not believe that God has only a special group of people, but that God is calling all people out of the apostate churches and into His last day church. It will be a worldwide movement. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the largest international Protestant mission movement in the world today. In the United Nations, there are about 217 countries around the world that are recognized. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church is in over 200 of them. We are almost at the point where we are in every nation of the world. Number four, God is calling a people to totally commit to Jesus Christ. This movement says, Fear God. And give glory to Him. And we do that in everything that we do every single day. People that are completely sold out to Christ. That are totally committed to Him. Number five, it is a church that will lead people to the Bible Sabbath. It is a movement that leads people back to a long lost truth. A long lost commandment that begins with the word, Remember. Because God knew that after so many years of error that it would be forgotten. But He's calling us back to worship Him as the Creator. Number 6, God's true church will encourage people to give their bodies to Christ. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and He is desiring that you would be as healthy as you can in these last days. Give up alcohol and tobacco and unclean foods. It is a movement that says, fear God and give glory to Him. And how do we do it? By taking care of our bodies. And number seven, this is a group of people in the last days who are making the final appeal of God to accept the truth. In the days of evolution, in the days of error, and tradition and pagan practices that have come into the church god 's people are calling uh, for those to to come out of that error to honestly study the Bible and see the facts for themselves so that they can make an informed decision and i don 't know about you, but I want to be a part of this church that is based on the Bible and the Seventh-day Adventist church is. I want to be a part of a church that teaches that salvation is not by works but by grace and the Seventh-day Adventist church is. I want to be a part of a movement that follows along in the steps of people like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Matthew and and Peter and John and and the disciples keeping the commandments of God and doing his will and the Seventh Day Adventist Church does that. I want to be a part of a movement that understands that our bodies are the temple of God, a movement that calls for us to glorify God in our bodies physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually. We put all on the line, we lay it all on the altar, and we give it all to God. I want to be a part of a movement that calls men and women to be just like Christ. That we keep His commandments, not because we're trying to buy our way into heaven or earn it or deserve it, but simply as a byproduct of who and what we are. We have the law of God written in our mind and in our heart, and it's our desire to obey it. Not to do away with it, but to keep it. God doesn't save you so that you can keep on sinning. God saves you and empowers you so that you can start living without sin. And just like the Ten Commandments says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I want to be a part of a movement that can look at the book of Revelation and honestly see everything that's there and not have to dodge certain texts that don't agree with our philosophy. The Seventh-day Adventist movement is going powerfully throughout the entire world. And I want to give you an example of how God's true church is working in these last days. In 2004 there was an evangelistic series that was held in Kigali, Rwanda, and an unprecedented 10,000 people came and were baptized. It was the largest baptism of any church at that time. But since then, in 2016, they did another evangelistic series in Rwanda, but this time... They had 2,227 meetings that were all going on at the same time throughout the entire country. And there were 100,000 people that gave their hearts to Christ and became a part of His remnant church. It has been the largest evangelistic event and baptism not only in the history of the Seventh-day Adventist church, but in the history of the world. And what makes the difference? God's people are being mobilized with the truth to share the prophetic message. They have the gift of prophecy. Why do you think that the Seventh-day Adventist church knows so much about Bible prophecy? Because God gave them that message to give to a world that is lost and steeped in error. And I want you to think about this. Even now tonight while we are meeting here, there are actually more than a hundred other meetings that are going on in the state of Michigan. Jesus on prophecy is going on throughout the entire state of Michigan. And there are a few other places, other states in America that are doing it well. And I would hope and I would pray that very soon we would do the same thing that they did in Rwanda. That we would have thousands of meetings like this going on throughout this country all at the same time. Now, based on what we see happening in the news and what we know is going to be coming around the corner in May of 2020, I don't know if we have enough time to get there. But I hope that if we do, that we will. That we will be giving this message everywhere in this country. There are people that are interested in the truth. There are people that are hungering for the truth. And God is working through His people today to bring that last day message to the world. But you want to know what? God's church is not in the majority. You can never base truth on majority vote. Did the majority of people get in the ark in the times of Noah? No, the majority was lost. They were outside the ark. In the days of Jesus, the majority was yelling to crucify Him. And most of the time, the majority is not in the right. It comes from understanding Bible truth. That's how we get to be in the right. Not necessarily the majority. And remember what Revelation 12.17 says. The dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. We know that the devil is representing Satan. We know that the woman is representing God's last day church. We see that the devil is enraged with God's last day church. So if the devil is especially mad and we are the special target of Satan, do you think that he's probably going to paint us in a bad light? Absolutely. And you can go on the internet and you can read all kinds of websites that talk about what a cult that we are and how we are twisting the Word of God. But you have seen it for yourself. You have seen the truth. And God is calling His people to follow that truth in spite of what the popular church is teaching today. God's last day church keeps the commandments of God And they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's the spirit of prophecy. God's church is not in the majority. And you can never base truth on a majority vote. The majority did not not get in the ark. The majority was calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. And we know that most of the time the majority is in the wrong. You want to know where God's last day church is? You find the majority? and turn around and go the other way. You don't want to be a part of that group. God's church does not need the approval of popular religious leaders. Truth is truth whether religious leaders accept it as the truth or not. And every time we have a series of meetings like this and people come, the Spirit of God is working on hearts and drawing us to Him and allowing us the freedom to choose for ourselves whether we want to follow that truth from the Bible or we want to keep going the direction that we have. And so what often happens is when we have a series of meetings like this and you have people that are hearing the truth, there begins to be a controversy in their heart and in their mind because we always in our carnal nature want to do what's easiest. But God is not calling us to do what's easy. He's calling us to follow the truth. And He's asking us to make a decision based on the truth and not based on emotions and not based on what the popular church pastors and leaders are saying that we should do. I can't tell you how many times we've had people come to a series like this. We show them the truth and then they go to their pastor and the pastor says, oh, you don't need to worry about the commandments anymore. And they totally lead them back into that deception that they have already been in for so long. But God is calling us out. And I know that you are truth seekers. That's why you're still here at the end of these meetings. And we are this worldwide movement that is following all of God's commandments. And I hope that you haven't been coming just to get some head knowledge, but I hope that God is able to work on your heart and show you the truth and give you the power and the strength to follow that truth no matter what the cost. And so I want to close tonight by sharing with you some of my own personal testimony. When I was 15 years old, the Lord called me to the seminary and I said no. And I never heard that voice again for 20 years. But 20 years later, I was living in Southern California. I was a one-third owner in a very successful corporation. And I was not looking for God. But God came to me one night in a dream and He rocked my world. And it didn't take very long to figure out that I couldn't chase God and money. And I chose to walk away from my business. I literally walked away from millions of dollars. And I've never regretted that for a moment. And years later, the, the Lord began to call me back into the ministry. And this time, I said yes. And I started pastoring a small little non-denominational church right here in Michigan. And that church was growing, but I didn't feel like I was. And so I began to pray. And I began to ask the Lord to bring someone into my life that could teach me. And God was so faithful. Immediately, He brought a woman into a Wednesday night Bible study that we had at the church. And it didn't take very long to figure out that she knew her Bible better than I did. And my wife and I began to study with her and her husband one-on-one. And they began to share the Sabbath with us. And they weren't Adventists. And they didn't have the corporate day of worship, but they had the rest. And we saw that, yes, the commandments of God are still applicable today. And if they are, then yes, the fourth commandment is, and we should be resting on the Sabbath day. And so we started keeping the Sabbath as much as we knew about it, even while I was preaching on Sunday. But then we saw that God was answering our prayer. And then we really began praying, Lord, we want more truth. And one day we were just driving home and we saw a sign on the side of the road that was talking about a Bible study series just like this one that was going on and we decided to go. And we saw so clearly from the Word of God the things that we have been presenting to you in this series. And when it was done, I realized that it was truth. And I couldn't even dispute it. It was so abundantly clear. The Bible is so simple to understand when you fit all of the pieces perfectly together and everything just lines up like it's supposed to. And when we saw that, I only had one decision to make. Was I going to follow the truth or was I going to continue on the path that I was on? And I want to tell you, it's not easy to walk away from a multi-million dollar corporation. And it's not easy to walk away from being a pastor of a church. Because for me, that meant I was leaving my family. I had pastored that church for six years and I loved those people. I had prayed over and ministered to those people. And I tried to bring them along with the truth, but they rejected the truth. And so I had to make a decision. Was I going to follow the truth or was I going to stay with them? And friends, just like you may be struggling over leaving your church, you know, it's going to cost you something to follow the truth. And it might cost you your job, like it did for me. I tried to bring them out of that error, and they refused. And so I only had one choice to leave or to stay. And so I left that church. And we became a part of the Seventh-day Adventist church. I'm here because I believe this is the truth. And I wouldn't be sharing it with you if I didn't. Because when I realized that I had been teaching error for years, I was devastated. I thought about all the people that I had been leading into error. And I thought my days of ministry were done. But God has a way of working on people. And He continued to work on me. And it took years to see the truth, but eventually He brought me into being a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist church. He helped me to realize that it wasn't a temporary calling in my life, but it was permanent. And I am just so grateful to be a part of God's last day church. And I just want to say to you that I recognize that there are struggles. I recognize the devil is going to try and do everything that he can to keep you out of God's true remnant church. But you've seen the truth for yourself. And I hope that he is able to work on your hearts. And I hope that he is able to get you to see that he loves you. And he wants to bring you out of the deception. He wants to bring you out of the error. Because what did the Bible tell us? In Revelation, talking about the seven last plagues, Revelation 18.4 says, Come out of her, My people, lest you share in her sins and lest you partake of the plagues. That's where we are today. God is calling us out of that. And He's calling us into His remnant church. He's asking us to be His special chosen people. And the question is, do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to be a part of God's church? If you do, why don't you take a stand for Him? And why don't you make that stand now? And we will pray. Loving Father, we thank You for the truth. It is the truth that sets us free. And Lord, You are the truth, the way and the life. When we find the truth, we find You. And Lord, I'm praying for everyone here. You know Each one of us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know the struggles that we're having. You know the things that we need. And Lord, You are able to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. And Lord, I want to pray for everyone here. I pray that You would give us the strength, the courage to follow the truth no matter what the cost. Lord, You told us to count the cost. There's certainly a cost associated with following You. It might cost us family. It might cost us a job. It might cost us friends. It's going to cost us something. The devil's going to throw every hunk of junk at us that he can. But Lord, there's also a cost associated with not following the truth. And I just want to lift up everyone here tonight and I want to pray and ask that You would help us to have the courage and the strength to stand up and say, yes, Lord, I want to follow You all the way to heaven. And we pray and ask in Jesus' name, Amen.